Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of After Impact. This is the last After Impact with my boy, Agent Smith. I am mortified that he is going to be leaving us. By the way, I'm your very sad host, Tom Bilyeu. Um, And this is our farewell episode to the Agent Smith. Mr. Bilyeu. That's going to be the last one. Man, that's the last one right there. That is... Traumatizing to say the least, but exciting times are upon you. Moving up to the Bay Area, doing a whole new shtick. Very cool. Excited for you. Horrified that we're losing you, but that is only because you have been amazing. What an amazing addition to this team you have been. A founding member, always a badge you will be able to wear with honor. And uh, yeah, gonna be sad to see you go. Thank you for all those kind words. And I will wear that badge with honor. And I'm excited to see where this company goes. I'm excited to see the community grow, the content grow, and it will be a badge of honor because I know down the road, people are gonna be like, you worked for Impact Theory? Yeah, buddy. Yeah, I I did a little work for Impact (laughs) Theory. (laughs) Yes, you did. Um, And it's gonna be really fun. But yeah, the last episode, uh, this is the show after impact the show where we unpack the impact of this week's episode which is a very special one yes uh, about mental health awareness yes um also we should mention that dr finesse is going to come on next week. yeah so okay. we'll we'll be doing the show the show must go on must continue uh but yeah we'll be doing dr finesse at least is um a we might do a revolving guest um interviewer you will yeah kind of thing mm-hmm. so we'll mm-hmm. see uh but yeah we'll start with our boy dr finesse who's done the duties when you've been out of town he in has. the past he's, so and uh done very well at yeah, it yeah he's a great co-host um but uh, this week's episode is a compilation <coughs> um it's a clip show we pulled together stories from some of our our most amazing guests about um really times that they've struggled in their lives mm-hmm. and you know, we've been talking about this for a little while that we wanted to do some content during May for Mental Health Awareness Month um, just because it's something that is important to this company, mm. it's important to our mission, um, and, you know, we're here to help people. So we wanted to get involved, we wanted to forward the conversation. And then when I watched this episode, I was really taken aback by A, like when you put all those stories together from all these people. Um, it's so powerful. It sends such a powerful message that mm. this is widespread. That so many people are dealing with this, and this is this is probably the most proud I've been of the work that we've done. Wow! Here. Because it feels super meaningful to I think our larger goals and what we're, what mm. we're actually trying to do with, with 
creating impact at scale. So it's a, it's a nice note to go out on, I would mm. say. So I'm excited to dive in. I want to start off with a few um, facts and figures because people who are listening to this on the podcast probably also listened to the episode on the podcast and didn't see the facts come across the screen, right, which yeah, if you yeah. have seen the YouTube video, sort of the interstitials, um, Casey and Courtney pulled a lot of uh, really just facts that floored me, and I'll read some off. So one in five adults in the U.S. experience mental health, mental illness in a given year. Mm. It's crazy. Globally, more than 300 million people suffer from depression. 300 million people. I'm going to say that stat is way low. You think it's low? Way low. I'm going to guess there are countries that don't, either don't diagnose yet because they're still an emerging country, mm. um, or if they do report, they underreport. So mm. I'll be really interested to see what kind of numbers start pouring out of China and India especially. Mm. Um, I'm going to guess that there are some pretty terrifying stats that when those guys really come online and are reporting it, um, yeah. Well, here's one that I think is probably right on because it's focused in the U.S. So in the U.S., anxiety disorders affect 40 million people. Jesus. That's a lot. And then here's a super fascinating one. The World Health Organization estimates that $1 trillion is lost global, in, in the global economy in productivity due to mental illness. Wow. $1 trillion. That's crazy. Yeah. So obviously this is a huge issue. We wanted to bring light to it. Um, we pulled stories from, from our guests, starting with Brendan Burchard. Mm. He had a really amazing story about the times that he was struggling yeah, in yeah, some yeah. really dark places. And um, he talks about building momentum. And one of the things that I liked about his story was he said, you know, it's, it's sort of knowing where you're at and honoring that. So it's not like, you don't have to be in this place where you're high performing, you're going out and crushing it, and you're like crushing these three top goals. Sometimes it's just about, you know, taking a shower, walking to the library, coming back home when you're in this sort of crisis. So I want to ask you about how did, like, what are some of the keys in your mind to building momentum in times like this when you're, when you're really at a low point? So, uh, one, I just want to reinforce what Brendan said, which is, you know, don't, don't be thinking, oh, I've got to be tackling these grand goals or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, really keep it simple. Do something. And, and like you were saying with the honor it, like, honor that it's hard. Honor the struggle by rewarding yourself emotionally for the small things, for getting out of bed, for taking a shower, for walking to the library, all those things. It's not, don't just do them. Make sure that you honor that struggle by acknowledging it in a positive emotional way that, hey, you did something. Because especially if you're already depressed, your inclination is gonna to be to beat yourself up. Like, all oh, you did today, <clears throat> like you barely got out of bed or you sure. only went to the library. And that just like further puts you into that problem. And so this is where people really have to understand that like thoughts become manifest. So thoughts actually begin to solidify in your brain. You're making new connections, you're strengthening connections, you're you know, wrapping myelin around those connection points between neurons that speed up the connection, which makes it easier to be depressed, which makes it easier to think those negative thoughts because now you're in like this real habit loop. Like just understanding it mechanistically so that you are really careful what you feed into um, and that you understand how powerful and potent it can be to do something like positively reward yourself for important behaviors. Okay, now to answer your question, how do you create momentum in this? So the big thing for me is like 
Blocking and tackling. In business, they always talk about blocking and tackling. Do the simple things right every day. Do the simple things right every day. Like that is step number one. And the blocking and tackling of um, mental illness, specifically depression, I'm gonna say getting help, that's number one. Mm -hmm. So seeking somebody out, working with a therapist, knowing that it is not some failing on your part that you're not able to do this by yourself. So like step number one in creating that momentum is reaching out, allowing yourself to be vulnerable, not thinking in some way that this makes you less than, like it's so rampant, like you were saying, like I really hope that's what people take away from this, is the the incredible people that we've had on the show that have done these incredible things, generated tremendous wealth in their lives, helped other people, like just done amazing high impact stuff. And they've done all of that after having dealt with, in Brendan's case, he was planning his suicide. This was not like idle thinking. He was actively planning his suicide. So if he can go from that state to where he is now, not only thriving in his own life, but helping hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people thrive in their own. So, I mean, just really a spectacular Mm -hmm. um, transformation. So... Getting that help, number one. Number two, the real um, next step, blocking and tackling. (coughs) Excuse me, I really should have brought a glass of water. I don't know why all of a sudden I'm choking to death over here. Um, Is you want to start exercising. Dude, moving, moving, moving. Like the body has these hooks into your mental state and one of them is moving. Um, Just getting out, using your body. It doesn't have to be like you know, hitting the gym and crushing it and going crazy. But just get up, go for a walk, breathe fresh air, be active. And then if there is something that you enjoy doing, so, you know, I I don't know why I'm thinking of Mark Sisson right now, but uh, Mark Sisson doesn't like to just do cardio. He likes to do something that he enjoys. And so he plays (coughs) ultimate Frisbee. So I don't know why I'm thinking of Mark Sisson at this point, but he goes out, doesn't necessarily want to just do a bunch of cardio. So he does ultimate Frisbee and goes out and there's um, camaraderie because mm-hmm. he's with teammates and there's that sense of community and, and he's being really active and running around and pushing himself but in a fun way. So I can imagine the endorphin release and all of the stuff that goes around that with, um, I mean, you're going to be getting serotonin, oxytocin, uh, maybe even vasopressin if there are people there that you really bond with and connect with um, and starting to build that trust. Also, just the, the play, getting yourself mentally in a different state to play and have fun. I think that's really important. And then here's one nobody wants to talk about, but this is so important. In fact, other than reaching out for help, And even your help, if you don't do what I'm about to say, that will be a tenth of what it could be. Your diet. Hmm. I don't want that to be true because I love to eat junk food so much. But anything that is inflammatory, to give you but one example on a neurochemical level or really a biomechanical level, there's a region in your brain called the deep limbic system. The deep limbic system is um, what's the thing that addresses the very famous quote from Shakespeare, which is, nothing is either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. So the deep limbic system colors with emotion whatever stimulus you have. So 
Um, that person just winked at me. Is that good? Is that bad? What does it mean? That person's laughing. What does it mean? Are they laughing at me? Are they laughing with me? Um, all of that is colored by the deep limbic system. Now, the deep limbic system can get inflamed. When the deep limbic system is inflamed, it then skews negative. Mm. So if you're eating things that are just giving you an overall inflammatory response, you're more likely to see something in a negative light. So mm. that kind of thing, and that's, that is but one. Then just like general inflammation in the body can just be painful, low level of discomfort. It can um, mess with your secretion or I don't know if it's a secretion of serotonin. It is certainly the mobilization of serotonin to the brain um, can impact that because you have dysbiosis in the gut. I mean, it's like, dude, that when people remember that your wet works, that you are this incredibly complicated ecosystem that is not just you, but your microbiota and like all of that, like Diet matters and it matters a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And so eating right, exercising, community, connection, like that's huge. And then obviously touching base with somebody that really can help you do this. Those are the blocking and tackling. And, and really, I guess I should put a super fine point on that connection and community and people that get isolated are more likely to be depressed than people that have strong relationships. Like we're a social animal, man. Just the reality is, and one of my favorite stories is the, if you take a monkey, a baby monkey, and you put it in a cage with a wire monkey that has food and a carpet monkey that has nothing, they thought, well, it's going to go hang out with the wire monkey that has food. And what they found was it clutches on to the one that gives it the comfort with the, you know, the carpet or whatever. And then it will run over, eat food and come running back really fast to then cling back to the one that gives it that comforting sensation. So like bonding, touch, like all of these things make a big difference. And so if you find that your depression is making you stay at home, like that's the anti-momentum. So yeah. getting out, doing those things, even if they feel deeply uncomfortable, like that's how you get this moving in the right direction. Yeah, that's great. Um, I wanted to ask you about your, you know, your past. I know you've talked about times when you've had low points, when you've been a little bit lost like what were some of the things that you did to build that momentum and get yourself out of it man it was so clumsy and this is where i wish so one of the problems with learning everything by reading is that like you really start at a baseline and you're just sort of wandering around trying to piece all this stuff together and no one was there was no such thing as a growth mindset when i was going through all of that and if there was like nobody was writing about it um so it was purely me saying, okay, down one path is depression, down the other path is allowing myself to believe that neuroplasticity is real. Now, I want people to get this in context. When I'm going through this, this is the late 90s, neuroplasticity was being debated, right? This is yeah. 20 years ago. So people were like, no, 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 you can't change. Brain locks into place around 12, 13. That's it, homie. Like you, you have the number of brain cells that you have, that is it, you're never getting any more. Like that was the predominant language. But I was reading about the brain and, I, and some people were saying, no, 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 like, trust me, just like you can pick up a new language later in life, you can pick up music later in life, like you can actually thicken regions of your brain and neuroplasticity is real, I'm telling you. And so it was like this hot debate. And I was like, all right, down the path of believing the side that says neuroplasticity is not real and that my talent and intelligence are fixed traits, like I'm depressed now because I don't know how to get what I want out of life and I just realized I'm not talented. Down this path, on the other hand, is maybe false hope, but at least it's hope. Mm -hmm. And it was that I could get better. 
And so I just started reading voraciously. And so reading, reading, reading about how to improve myself, reading Tony Robbins, reading mm -hmm. books on the brain, reading anything I could get my hands on that told me I could add new skills, that I could get better, um, learning about filmmaking and teaching it. That was huge. And seeing one connecting to my the class because for the time that they're there in your class, like you really get to know them. You know their hopes and dreams and their aspirations. And I was getting to teach and learn and doing things that were exciting for me. And so that was elevating my mood. And then quite frankly, I started my first business, Bill You Photography. Um, and that was like a big thing for me was to try and really have a connection between how much I work and how much I make. That was a big deal for me and it made me feel like I was controlling my own destiny. And then around this time, I finally learned how to um, be attractive to the opposite sex, which gave me a huge boost. And then not long after that, then I meet Lisa and, and that she was, like if I was gonna slot in anything that um, other than reading that just was transformative, it was having somebody that I could connect to on that level, that I could be vulnerable, that I could admit all that stuff to, and that still believed in me. Like you put all that together and that was how I began to build my way out of that. But that was, you know, let's call it a four year process that, you know, Lisa didn't come in until like year four. So mm -hmm. there was a, a lot of work to start crawling out of that dark place to be the kind of person that somebody would actually want to date. Um, so, but that's how I did it in my own life. Nice. And then I started working out as well, mm. and that helped. And I what thought year I was, was eating that? better. Um, I started working out probably in about 2000. Yeah, it's about right. Maybe 2001. And was that intentional? Like you knew that this was going to help you? No, I wanted to get laid. Okay. <laughs> there it is. Pure and simple. Yeah. Like you, you have to understand, I was so bad at it, and I was so bad with women just like ridiculous like the cliches that people talk about that was me and um yeah and so i was like all right i'm i'm gonna start working out i want to look better i want to feel better um and but not thinking like oh that this has any impact whatsoever on my mood or anything like that but it did start giving me self-confidence for sure and that helped no mm -hmm. question noah galloway's segment of this episode is really about how we struggle as a, you know, as a culture to talk about mental health. Mm -hmm. And he says, you know, we've made a lot of steps where we at least acknowledge it, but we still have a long ways to go. And he, he tells a quick anecdote of when he was giving a speech in front of a crowd and he kind of at the tail end mentioned some of his depression and how many people came up to him afterwards and said, I struggle with it too. And, and really thanked him for, for sharing that. Um, why do you think it's so hard for us to, to talk about this? You might be just young enough that it doesn't quite have the stigma for you. Like for my generation growing up, mental illness, it, it had the same bite that the word retarded has today. Mm. And mental illness was forever. And so literally, I'm not kidding. Imagine raising your hand and saying in all sincerity, like I don't mean this um, colloquially, I can't say the word, but you know yeah. what I'm trying to say? Cool. Like. I'm retarded. That's what it would have been like, where it's like, people are gonna laugh, there's a little bit of sense of like, oh, that's gross, like, oh, I don't wanna begin, am I gonna catch it? Like, that was how people thought of mental illness. You thought of the guy that was dirty, that was homeless, mm. that had lice, that was like, everything your mom told you to stay away from. Was, and it was just a one-way street, man. Mental illness was broken, it was loony bins, it was like, all of that stuff, and that's how, certainly, 
I thought of it. That's how all my friends thought of it. Like mental illness meant you were broken. You were broken forever. You were broken in a way that was like crazy and kind of scary, like schizophrenic. That's mental illness. And so nobody wanted to talk about it. And then if it, anything having to do with your brain was just, because it was so complicated, nobody knew how to fix it, sure. right? So I don't remember when um, SSRIs came on board, uh, like Zoloft and all that stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. What's the really famous one? Prozac. Prozac. Yeah. When all that stuff came on the market. Um, but I certainly didn't know about it in when I was like in high school. So all of this stuff was just like this mystery box, one-way ticket to badness, And so nobody wanted to talk about it. And it's still somewhat taboo, but man, when I think back to where we were 20, 25 years ago, whoa, we've come a long way. And that gives me a lot, a lot of hope. And now, especially with social media, where an idea, uh, a confession, anything like that spreads like wildfire. So once people started talking about, oh, I have anxiety, I've had depression, whatever, like now it's just, it's, all over the place. And I remember when I first started Inside Quest, I was like, do I admit that I'm anxious? And I thought, God, that doesn't make me seem cool. And the one promise I made myself was I would never try to look cool. So I was like, all right, I have to like own this. And so I started talking about it. And I don't know that I would have been man enough to do that 15 years ago. Because it was still so like, oh, mm-hmm. I would have worried that it would negatively impact my ability to um, be a CEO. That people would go, oh, that guy's, he's you know damaged goods. Right. So I, it's not like that now. Yeah. Where do you think we sort of need to go next? I think it's got to be all focused around how do you solve the problems. And I think the more we, we have treatments and the more we see, oh, people get on the other side of this, the less weird it gets, the more likely somebody is to reach out for help. Like all positive things come from there actually being real solutions, people being willing to talk about it so people know what the solutions are. And then especially now because mindfulness is so helpful with so much of this. Diet is so helpful with Mm -hmm. so much of this. Exercise is so helpful with so much of this. All things that like you should do whether or not you're depressed, right? Mm -hmm. So I just think that's so critical. And dude, meditating is one of those. I'm just going to like beat this to death. Here's the weird thing about meditation. You almost don't notice if you take a day off. Like if I don't meditate, I don't think about it. But then all of a sudden I feel like if too many days go by and I haven't meditated, like why do I feel like I'm just a little off? And, and I would ne- it literally, I have to run through a checklist to be like, oh, I haven't meditated. And then I'll sit down and meditate and be like, why did I let three days go by without me doing this? Like it feels awesome. But because once you're doing it every day, it's like the guy who's like, I don't need my medication. I feel fine. Yeah. And then you forget. You feel fine because you're taking the medication. So that's meditation. It, it isn't like, um, if you're just learning how to do it, it's just awkward enough that it's no like big breakthrough moment. So you're, by the time it's really doing something for you, you don't realize it's really doing something for you sure. until you stop doing it. And then you're like, whoa, I've like really retrograded here. So yeah, I want people to just have it on their radar. Meditate. Like it's so deadly simple. It's literally just breathing from your diaphragm, but the impact that it has on your Neurochemistry is what I was going to say, but there's something really long lasting about it. So imagine for a second that a meditative session lasts 36 hours. 
there's something about like how long it echoes where you got to keep doing it. But like there's a real sense of like building wellness and it like feels like it expands into other areas of your life. You're just having better ideas. Your relationships are easy. You're feeling a little bit lighter. Like I will tell you right now, there's something in the way that the way that I work so hard, that I attack things, that I leverage the darkness, all of that, that I begin hardening up over time. Meaning I just get um, tough. I, that's, that doesn't quite capture it. It's, it's a diminution of playfulness is the mm. perfect way to say it. Meditation gives me all of the benefits of being a hard ass, being tough, grind, grind, go after it. But I don't lose my playfulness if I keep my meditation practice in. So there's little things like that that I think are going to come out more and more and more as people get these sort of anecdotal moments. That's super interesting and definitely a lot of what you just said sounds very familiar in my own meditation mm. practice. Um, Brian Johnson, he told an amazing story about you know when he was going through his depression and he sort of wrapped it around this... Uh, adventure he had where he climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. Mm. Um, how, like, how do you think about or how important do you think it is for stories to play a role in people really shaping how they feel about themselves? Look, man, th this is, it is not an accident that I've given my life over completely to story. It's not an accident that the matrix has ended up becoming the dominant metaphor of my life. It's not an accident that what I hope we create is the dominant metaphor for, you know, an entire generation after generations um, life. I want to give people those stories because it is how we conceive of the world. Even when you think about your future or your past, you're doing it in narrative form. I'm going to do this. This is going to happen than that. And Narrative is marked by what you leave out as much as by what you include. And so giving people these consolidated ways to think about an experience, climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, overcoming um, depression, uh, you know, changing your religious faith, like all of that stuff, which is all specific to Brian, um, all of those things become solidified in the story that you tell yourself and he about yourself and mm -hmm. the story that you tell yourself about yourself. We just interviewed today for an upcoming episode of impact theory, um, Michael Gervais, the just legendary sports psychologist. And he's, he said, confidence comes entirely from one thing and one thing only. It does not come from past success. He said, I've seen multiple time Olympic gold medalists walk up on uh, about to perform and they're just like riddled with anxiety and stress. And he said, but they've been the best in the world for, in some cases, you know, eight years. And he was like, what on earth in their experience has told them that they're not about to crush that? He was like, if confidence came from past experience, like they would just walk up, yay, and they would crush it. Sure. And he said, but it doesn't come from that. It comes entirely from what you tell yourself about yourself, hmm. period. Your self-talk, that is it. And that self-talk oftentimes comes in the form of narrative. And so taking a story and how you frame yourself, how you frame your past successes, um, how you frame failure and what that would look like. And if you, you know, step up to do your event and what you've told yourself about failure is that the only real failure is failing to try, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, it doesn't matter if I win or lose. Like I'm a legend because I'm trying. I'm out here. I put myself on the stage and I want to have fun and all that. So... Yeah, story to me, whether it's borrowing from fiction and saying, I want to be like Batman, which is something I've leveraged a lot in my life, um, where it's like, no superpowers, but I'm going to learn and I'm going to grow, or Neo, believing in myself, right? I, Dude, 
it's not an accident that the, the two things that grew up together in my mind are Matrix becomes a dominant metaphor in my life because as I try to explain things to myself or somebody else, I'm like, well, it's like the Matrix. It's like the Matrix. And then the fact that I've come to the realization that the only thing that matters is the first principle belief that we can get good at anything that we set our minds to, that humans are adaptation machines. So that's it. Like it's, it comes down to humans lead with belief that they can get better. And so all of that stuff is born of story. So yeah, I, I, until people really get good at the story they tell themselves about themselves, they will forever be held back. Well, let's talk about that. How do we get good? So there's an element like confidence, for instance. So confidence comes from um, your self-talk, the story you're telling yourself about yourself. But that story has to be real. You have to believe it. If you're just lying to yourself, it's not going to do anything for you. Mm -hmm. So now it becomes a question of how do you earn credibility with yourself, which is really the question of confidence. So confidence is I tell myself this empowering story and I believe it. And that, and I believe it, that's the important part. So there are little things that you can do every day to earn credibility with yourself in small ways. So the things you need to prove to yourself are that humans can learn something new. They can grow and adapt and move in a direction and the, uh, like consciously move in a direction. And the one that I will suggest for everybody is exercise. So there's nothing more obvious than being consistent in an exercise because you'll be able to pick up a weight that you couldn't pick up before. So one day you can't do it. And then, you know, six weeks later you can, it is the most astonishing and like principle proving thing you will ever do in your life. Um, take up dance. It's going to be the same thing. You're going to feel super awkward, not going to know what you're doing. Stick with it for eight weeks. You will be unrecognizable in eight weeks. Learn a language like anything where it has, there's two, three elements. Element number one, it's very easy to show up for, and it's binary. Either you showed up to do it or you didn't. You um, had your tutor come to teach you the language. You went to the dance class. You showed up to the gym, whatever. It's hard so that it's actually going to take you some effort so that you're going to feel good, but not like too hard, right? You're going to go, you're going to sweat, you're going to put in some energy and effort, but it's not like you try to run 135 miles with David Goggins, right? Mm -hmm. So I would not start there. Mm -hmm. um, but then it's something that yields a very obvious, very measurable result. If it's got those three things and you're doing that, you're going to start earning credibility with yourself. And so I always tell people, it starts by saying, I'm going to get out of bed in 10 minutes or less. I'm going to put on my gym clothes and I'm going to go straight to the gym. Now I didn't say workout. I said, you're going to get out of bed in 10 minutes. You're going to put on your gym clothes. You're going to go to the gym. If you do that, you've already met your promise to yourself. Now, since you're here, why don't you go in and do a quick set, right? But if you don't want to, you don't have to go home. You did what you said you would do. Mm -hmm. But then it's like, at some point you're going to be like, all right, I'm fucking here. I put the clothes on. Mm -hmm. I drove here. I'm going to go in. I'm going to work out for 10 or 15 minutes. And then like, as you start doing that, then maybe it becomes 20 minutes and 25. And then, you know, maybe you're doing full 30 minute workouts, an hour workout, and you're starting to see the change. You're getting excited about it, but every in incremental step, you need to reward yourself. And that's where I think a lot of people fail is they're like, you didn't even go in the gym, man. Mm -hmm. Yes. But that wasn't a promise you made to yourself. So it's like, you've got to really own that you said you were going to do something and you stuck to it. And when you do that and you know, when I say something, I do it. Like I know about myself. I'm very careful about what I say I'm going to do. Yeah. So like a lot of times people be like, oh dude, like you could get so much bigger. Like if you worked out hard in the gym. Yes, a hundred percent. You are absolutely correct. 
I'm not making myself that promise because I don't care enough. Yeah. So like understanding what you care about, what you're willing to like double down. So like if I'm awake Monday through Friday, I'm either working or working out. That's a huge fucking promise. But I care enough about it that I stick to it. Like the other day, dude, I was so there right now, right now, Agent Smith, in my spare room, there was a stack of comics waiting to be filed. I don't know why. I get so filed, much. Huh? Yeah. I you get like so much pleasure out of begging and boarding them and then filing them. I don't know why. It is so, so to me outside of my personality. Yeah, it is. But I love collecting. Yeah. I'm an obsessive collector who simply did not allow himself to collect for decades. And now because it actually can move the business forward. But I know that like at the end of the day, that's a weekend fun thing. Sure. Um, it's still in the world of something that I want to do, but I know enough to like, yeah, uh, put that off. Every time I walk by, ah, I want to do it. I'm like, no one would know. <laughs> but it's like, I would know, right? So yeah. that's my whole thing with that. So when something's important, you make that promise, you do it. And this is how you earn credibility. Nice. Um, so Mel Robbins, she obviously has this amazing technique, the five second rule, which I think most of our audience probably knows at this point. We've talked about it a lot. Um, but she also talks about... Uh, the physiological experiences we get and how they can sometimes mirror um, other things that we don't necessarily want to feel like anxiety. So, mm -hmm. um, but you can also leverage that. So she talks about, and also Jason Silva talked about this too. It was like, sometimes, you know, I'm feeling anxious, but really I just got to pee. Yeah. Um, Mel said, you know, one of the things you can do is when you're feeling anxious, you know, repeat to yourself, I'm actually excited about this. I'm excited. And that can change your experience. Um, What's like a good way to sort of identify those feelings, first of all, and then leverage them to your benefit? You know, it's interesting. Every time I hear somebody say, uh, oh, just tell yourself you're excited. Inside, I'm like, bullshit. <laughs> like, that's never worked for me. Yeah. Maybe because I'm not diligent. I'm fully willing to accept that I could do work there and I could mm -hmm. make that work for me. But that's one of those ones that I want to be true, but like I have yet to master that. So full disclosure, that's okay. never worked for me. Sure. But what I do is, so recognizing the, um, the symptoms. So for me, uh, the thing that I struggle with is anxiety. And so I found that being cold exactly mimics the, like think about what happens to you physiologically when you're getting cold. That is exactly what happens to me when I get anxious. So. I like have to process through, okay, what's happening? What am I feeling? I'm feeling a deep sense of unease. Why am I feeling unease? Oh shit, I'm cold, which is causing me to have like that slight vibration you get where I like feel just uncentered. I don't feel mm -hmm. like grounded in my body. So I just feel like a little um, shivery isn't quite the right word because there's a precursor. It will get to shivery if I really am getting out of hand. But it starts with like just this sort of, um, slightly ungrounded, vibratey feeling. Mm -hmm. And if I catch that, then I'm like, okay, either I'm getting cold and it's making me think I'm anxious or I'm getting anxious and it's making me think that I'm cold. And in either case, what I need to do is breathe through it. And so breathe, dude, I cannot tell you. It, it's, it is a silver bullet. I'm just going to say it. It's a silver fucking bullet. The only catch is that sometimes if I'm really anxious, it just takes too long. It can take me, let's say, 15 minutes to really come down yeah. after something that's really triggering me. But like, here's the one that used to really fuck with me. I'm about to walk on stage and there 
they're like introing me. I think I've talked about this before. Oh, the great irony that I do these incredibly long, intricate um, intros for people to make them feel honored and all that stuff. And I fucking hate it when people do it to me because while I'm sitting there listening, the like anticipation of I'm about to walk out and all eyes are going to be on me and all that stuff, like that's building and the anxiety is building. And so now I just know the second I like am about to go up on stage, <coughs> I'm diaphragm breathing. And so through the whole like intro, I'm diaphragm breathing and like, because I know if I do that, it doesn't rev up. But if I don't do that and I try to catch it once it's like, whoa, I'm really like getting into that super anxious state, then it's like, man, I just start, I'm not as articulate as I want to be. And so that really bothers me. So my silver bullet isn't like, oh, I'm secretly excited. No, this is just excitement. I'm like, my brain just knows like, like the story that you tell yourself has to be credible. I don't have credibility when I say, oh, hey, that's not that. It's, yeah, you know, you're actually sure. really excited. I don't feel excited. I feel fucking anxious. So to breathe through it works, period. Nice. Um, Tucker Max in, in this episode talks about, you know, the reasons he started doing psychoanalysis um, and having to kind of come to terms with both uh, the denial of his feelings around his family um, growing up, and then also being able to accept mistakes he's made. Like, what do you think is the key to really just accepting those mistakes that you're never going to be able to change that they've happened already? For me, it is really, really simple, and that is to understand that you can change at any point. You can change your identity, everything. So mm-hmm. if you don't like who you've been, you don't like things you've done, the only thing that's going to make that worse is to not change because you want to stay and say, oh, no, 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 it wasn't really my fault. They shouldn't have taken it that way, whatever. If you've hurt somebody or neglected somebody or whatever, far better to go, okay, this is going to suck. I'm going to rip the Band-Aid off. I'm really going to have to feel that I've, you know, um, I was cruel to that person, I was neglectful, I was whatever, that, that is really not going to be pleasant. And to get to the other side, which is where I'm open to the truth and I'm taking responsibility, to get into that really is emotionally brutal. But once I'm there, now I can connect with them, I can celebrate them, I can do things that are all the things that I wasn't doing that made that so horrible to have to accept that. So it's like, okay, if I'm just willing to accept that this is my fault, I can do something about it, I can change it. And it it never ceases to amaze me how many people, people that I love, Jared, love very much, they would rather stay small, have no belief in their dreams, than because in doing that, then they haven't wasted their life leading up to this point. It was just a reality. The world worked against me. I wasn't dealt a great hand. Um, My parents weren't rich. And so ah, this just is my life. That they're way more comfortable with that. Knowing that then however much time they have left, it's going to keep being the same. Then to just go, oh yeah, this whole time, like these last 40 years or whatever, I could have done something way more. I've not lived up to my potential. That's so painful to them that they would rather sell off cheaply again the rest of their life, their entire future, because they can't deal with that emotion, which by the way, emotion cycles are pretty fucking short. So the like raw sort of pain of the emotion, God, is it gonna last more than two weeks? No, 
First of all, because especially not if you're in a place where you're thinking, oh, I can now improve. So that to me is, is really the key is just understanding that this is, you can fix it now if you own it and embrace it. And that, that's been huge for me. So whatever pain I'm going to feel is, is pretty temporary compared to how many years now I'll get to be right. Mm-hmm. And again, it goes back to my whole thing about what you build your self-esteem around. So if your self-esteem around is built around being right, uh, that's a pretty gnarly hit to your self-esteem. But if your self-esteem is built around identifying the right answer, admitting when you're wrong, then all of a sudden it's actually a boost to be able to say, oh yeah, I was a total idiot for you know, X number of years. Yeah. Well, that is it for today's After Impact. I had a really good time talking about this. I'm super happy with how this episode came out, the actual Impact Theory episode. I hope it helps people. Do you have any parting thoughts? Man, you you just nailed it. And mad love to the team, by the way, that busted their ass to put this together. This team is just absolutely, absolutely incredible. And can I diatribe for a quick second? Please do. I was recently on another podcast. It was was an atrocity from the moment I walked in the door until I left. (laughs) Didn't know my name, didn't know what I'd done in the past. Like, it was crazy. And I was like, dude, this is not how you make a guest feel welcome, right? I mean, it was just, mm-hmm. it was bananas. And so it didn't seem like the interviewer wanted to be there. It was so unreal, I couldn't believe it. And so yesterday in the team meeting, I was like, guys, I just need to take a second and be like, y'all motherfuckers are special. Like from the moment somebody walks in this door, you guys make them feel welcomed. You make them feel like they've come home, that we wanna set them up for success. I mean, God, this team just crushes it. And this clip example is, Another example of that, not only have, hopefully we put something together that really helps people, but they've once again honored the guests by really showcasing the insights that they've worked so hard to bring to people. Um, And so I think this is something awesome for the guests. Um, Sorry, it's awesome for the audience that honors the guests. And I'm just super proud of the team for busting ass. And on that note, I will say with our community listening, that dude, you have been such an extraordinary member of this team and just a huge part of what this company has become. And uh, you are gonna be missed, man. I have real fear of loss with you. So I'm very sad to see you go, but I think that you um, really made this show what it was. And uh, thank you for all of your contributions to this company. And I'm excited that you're gonna go crush it for somebody else. You know that myself, everyone here, we have your back. However we can ever be useful to you, we'll do it in a heartbeat. That's awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you for bringing me along on the journey. And I've had an amazing time and learned a lot. And, you know, I'll always be around. I'll I'll be watching from afar and and cheering you guys on and uh, definitely be dropping into the Impact Theory League from time to time. So, yeah, good luck. Well, thank you. We'll see you in the league. Yeah. All right, guys. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys. Thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.